Ben Smith worked as a barman for a few years with thoughts of becoming a horse trainer constantly pounding in his brain. He had casual working stints with trainers like Bart Cummings, Greg Urell, Greg Bennett and Peter Snowden and after that he felt just about ready to give it a crack. The only problem was he didn't have a horse to train and that's where Nana and Pop came in. Ben's grandparents, Graham and Claire Smith, had been racing horses for quite a few years and they had a rising eight-year-old called Top Crown uh, with trainer Stephen Gleeson at that time. Top Crown had been a pretty good old bush horse with about 14 wins to his credit, but he hadn't won in over a year. Young Ben immediately demonstrated his ability to find the right race for his horses by taking Top Crown to Grafton for the Almara Cup and lo and behold, he won first up with his very first starter and Glenn Lynch was the jockey. But there were plenty of tough times ahead. Let's find out just how tough they were. Ben's on the line to talk to us now. Thanks for your time, Ben. No, pleasure, John, any time. Ben, I've heard some stories about the hurdles you've hit along the way. You tell me if they're true. What about the power being cut off at home? You were having cold showers and you didn't mind that until you came down with pneumonia. True? Yeah, very true. Uh, it was uh, it was tough in the middle of winter, but uh, <laughs> it had to be done. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I got pneumonia. But, uh, no, look, we're better for the experience now. Another time, you came down with appendicitis. They put you in hospital, you had the necessary surgery, and then next day you told the nurse to bring you a discharge form because you wanted to get back to the horses. Yeah, that's true True, also. We were at, uh, it actually happened while I was at uh, Wyong Trials and I uh, got, uh, got quite sick there. I couldn't actually saddle a horse up, so I mm. uh, just had to ride the wave, ride the pain till I got home and went straight to hospital. And, yeah, just, uh, you know, a couple of hours later, I was, I was on the operating table. You got going commercially in 2012 with a very small team. How many horses did you kick off with? Uh, when I first started, yep. uh, none. Uh, <laughs> yeah, zero horses. I, I hadn't had, I hadn't got a horse in my stable, and then I pop gave me were kind enough to give me their horse. And uh, from there, I was uh, I'd bought one or two, and mm. that was it. The rest I had to try. We were just pre-trainers, so. Mm. Uh, for the first three or four years, we were, we were very, very light on with numbers and uh, we were mostly doing pre-training, to be honest. In the main, those early horses were battling to win a maiden, but Strada Lodge wasn't a bad old horse. He was a bit better than Handy. You won four or five races with him. Yeah, he was a, he was a horse that uh, the owners were kind enough to... He passed in at the classic sale and the owners were kind enough to lease him to me. So uh, we've got some people in, in him, and uh, fortunately he uh, he won over $100,000 in prize money, which was really good for us and uh, really good for him, and it was just a nice experience all the way through. The In Her Time story is a fascinating one. Now, she was one of several yearlings to be dispersed from the Cobcroft's famous property Parawina at Willow Tree. Now, she was privately purchased by a man called Peter Brown, with whom you had become friendly at the Newcastle Trackwork Sessions, and uh, Peter suggested that you should take this filly, form a syndicate, 
and this wonderful mare has gone on to win eight from 20. She's a Group 1 winner. She's been placed in four others, and it's just a fairy tale, Ben. Yeah, from uh, humble beginnings, big things grow, and she wasn't, uh, you know, she's by time thief, so she's not fashionably bred, but uh, it, was a, it was a very good dam line and uh, a real winning family on that side. And, you know, there's some great guys in there, and it's, it's not too often that you get to lease a horse that is a group one, turns out to be a group one winner and, and won over $2 million in prize money. So, mm. so for some of the guys, it was their first horse that they'd gone in, so it's, uh, it's, it's been the experience of a lifetime for, for a lot of us. Peter Brown kept a share too. Yeah, he kept the share, and uh, the the horses, uh, the leases ended now and reverted uh, back to him. So uh, the leases they had a great run, and and now it's just uh, Peter and uh, for the man with the tab as well at the minute as we're signed with the tab for the Everest. Yeah, gee, what a thrill for you if she can get a start in the Everest. Yeah, well, uh, you know, last year we come so close to. Mm. To being there, and uh, you know, it's not a, it's not my responsibility job to. Uh, it's between the owner and the slot holder to sign the contracts, and mm. uh, I just train the horse. But uh, you know, luckily enough this year, um, Peter Brown was able to to negotiate a deal with Tab, and uh, you know, we're we're in the Everest, and, and you know, can't wait. She won a three-year-old maiden first up at Canterbury. But then she disappointed in the T-Rose stakes. Were there any problem that day? Because you, you put her away straight away. Yeah, she uh, pulled up uh, very badly with uh, cardiac arrhythmia. Mm. Uh, she didn't seem to handle the real heavy going. And as she was, you know, very new uh, and inexperienced and, you know, testing conditions, in, especially in a group race at a second start, was just a little bit too much for her and might have just been that, that touch ambitious from us. But uh, she pulled up a cardiac arrhythmia, and then we had to we had to tip her out and uh, trial accordingly uh, before she come back and, and things like that. But uh, uh, look, she it happened twice in her career, and uh, she was probably nearly she was probably close to being barred from racing as she had cardiac arrhythmia twice. But uh, thankfully enough, she come through it, and, and the vets cleared her, and she's gone on to win a Group One from that. <laughs> The second preparation, I noticed you only gave her four runs, no wins, and you turned her out again. You, you were very patient with her. Yeah, well, she, she wasn't at her best, and things were going wrong, and testing tracks, and just unable to find the right races for her, and just nothing went to plan. It was all very frustrating, and uh, because she'd shown so much at home, mm. uh, it, was, it was difficult seeing her race, you know, against what she'd shown us. So mm. uh, everyone was really good. All the people involved in her were really good. And they just, basically, they just let me train the horse and they were just guided by me and they never interfered. And mm. um, that's it's really great for, that owners can do that and put that trust in you that mm. they know you're going to do the job. And that's why we put her away and just took our time with her. Takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, everyone was, a, you know, a great bunch of guys in the horse and, uh, you know, to be able just to be left alone and um, train the horse and, and do the best thing for the horse, it, it makes my job a hell of a lot easier. Now, Ben, next time back, you gave her two soft trials and then she won a fillies and mares race at Canterbury with Rachel King on board. Then you gave her another fresh and you'd obviously made up your mind by now. 
that this mare had to be fresh and on her toes? Yeah, it took a little while to work her out. Uh, you know, those horses that show a lot of ability early, you, you think they can do almost anything. But, uh, you know, we just had to had to find out what the best thing to the horse was. And that first up run at Canterbury, that was that was her resuming from a second bout of cardiac arrhythmia. So mm. uh, we're very mindful about trying to really place her in the right races. And yeah, that, that, that was probably the beginning of a, what was going to be, a, you know, a great career for her today. Well, five weeks after that first win at Canterbury, she won again on that track. Andrew Adkins was the rider this time. And uh, it, as I say, a five-week gap, and she was she just relishes it. Yeah, she seemed to uh, really enjoy just having space runs, and she's a horse that loved being in a stable. So you could keep her in for, you know, a longer than normal time, the time frame and just poke along with her, and she just really enjoys it. Um, you know, she doesn't have to be doing much, but as long as she's always doing something, she's happy, and she really just, yeah, we just really worked her out that she needs to be fresh, kept fresh. Well, next time you took her to the races, she was a, a totally different mare. She won the Group 2 Breeders' Classic, Andrew Adkins on board. She won the Group 2 Millie Fox with Josh Parr on board. And then what a cracking run in the Coolmore Group 1. She was beaten only 2.8 lengths. Yeah, the Coolmore, that was uh, that was a bit of a secondary plan there. Uh, just w- w- I never thought she'd be able to get you know, beyond seven furlongs and the way she won the Millie Fox was really encouraging that she, she might be able to, to stretch out to a cool more distance and the race was two weeks later and we are very happy with the way she was coming along and she probably a touch unlucky there as well. Uh, just on the corner, she couldn't get out uh, when Josh wanted to get out on her and she just got, just held in for probably an extra furlong mm. and uh, that just, uh, you know, she just couldn't pick back up and really let down again but it was still a, you know, terrific run and I think that really stretched her though. She, she, she will, uh, you know, we, we won't race her over those distances again, but mm. uh, as a three year old, it was a super run. Now, you took her to Brisbane, you got there, uh, and she was mad fresh, and she ran a terrific fifth in the Doombin 10,000 from a wide barrier, beaten only three lengths. You gave her 28 days before lining up again, and what a run it was. Second in the Stradbroke, again drawn off the track, and impending won that Stradbroke. Terrific run in her time. Yeah, it was very pleasing. Uh, it was the first time I've ever travelled with the horse. Uh, we've gone in the state, we've gone anywhere, really. Uh, and so it was all trial and error heading up there, and uh, we went to the German 10,000, and that was, uh, you know, it was a great experience and it was good for me. Uh, you know, obviously working with other trainers, uh, you, tr- you get to travel a little bit, but, uh, you know, when the buck stops with you and you've got to make all the decisions, it's, it can be very tricky. And once you travelled that first time, we knew that we could, uh, you know, she was a, a really nice horse to, to be able to travel with and she's quite cool, calm and collected. And mm. uh, the, se- the second time she went up there for the straight road, she was in absolutely great order and, she settled straight in and it was, uh, you know, we were confident she'd run well and, you know, uh, she did, just uh, barriers beat us. Yep. 14 days later, she ran third in the Group 1 Tats Tiara uh, behind Tycoon Tara and then you put her away. And as you put her in the paddock that time, you must have been thinking, I can't wait to get her back. 
Yeah, absolutely. That uh, that Brisbane campaign really really stamped her as a as a Group One horse. I think. Uh, all, yeah, from the autumn in Sydney, she she promised a bit and, and she won those Group races, but albeit in restricted grade. And we raised the bar again, and you know she she duly delivered, and we thought we were we really seriously got a Group One horse on our hands here. And mm. uh, yeah, like you said, we couldn't wait to get her back. Well, she won the Premier Stakes at Randwick, Corey Brown having his first race ride on her that day. Uh, then she won a listed race called the Sydney Stakes, and then she really stepped up next time. And now that you, uh, you're confident she's a good traveller, you decided to head to Melbourne for the Group 1 Manicato Stakes at Mooney Valley. She ran second to Hay Dock. She lost a shoe in the race, and you put in an unsuccessful protest on that occasion. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was a little bit tricky there. Uh, uh, hey, Doc shifted in quite abruptly onto uh, Vega Magic, which in turn uh, pushed us right onto the fence and caused us a lot of interference. And uh, she had thrown a shoe. And uh, to be honest, I, I can't believe she ran second. Uh, mm. yeah, the, yeah, she's always had little, you know, feet issues. We've always had to swap shoes with her, you know, heart bars back to her standard plates and mm. things like that. And that night she had the heart bars on and when uh, when she caught that interference, her, her foot just fell right away. And uh, for her to be able to run, you know, second and just be beaten uh, under those conditions, that was, uh, it was, it was great to see how tough she is. And you really don't realise unless you're with the horse all the time and see these things, mm-hmm. just how tough they are and how competitive she is. Well, you let her get over that foot problem because you gave her a good long spell. You brought her back in the autumn of this year. She had one barrier trial and then bang, at last, the Group 1 Galaxy. A relief and a great thrill. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, it was a great thrill. And to say, yeah, it was a lot of relief as well. She'd, uh, she'd been unlucky uh, in a few in a few group ones, uh, you wonder if it's ever going to happen. But uh, you know, we just got the right race in the right conditions, and she'd come back stronger than ever this time. Um, it really was the best she'd spelled and best she'd come back. And I think, to be honest, that ho- the hoof injury in Melbourne was a blessing in disguise, and mm. just allowed us to to really let her. You know, I know she, she's five, but still furnish a bit more and. She came back uh, fully matured and, and stronger than ever, and we were really confident that, that this was her time to win a Group One. Zach Purton was uh, on a working holiday from Hong Kong at the time, and you were lucky to get his services for that race. Yeah, we were. Uh, we were just lucky enough that uh, Corey Brown's manager also manages uh, Zach's rides internationally, so yeah. uh, with Corey suspended. Um, you know, Zach was Zach was there and available, so uh, we really uh, we didn't need to look any further when you got him. Uh, you know, sitting in the wind, ready to ride her. Well, her next run after the Galaxy was in another Group One, the TJ Smith, and Corey threw a spanner in the works on this occasion when he became indisposed after the race before the TJ Smith. I imagine it would have been panic stations. It was John. We uh, I'd gone in to get the saddle, and Corey walked past uh, just from his ride, and he said, "Oh, I'm no good." Uh, so uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, he's getting seen by the doctor, and 
there was a protest in that race as well, so there was no stewards around, and I think everyone was just wondering what was going on, and we didn't know whether Corey was going to be right or not, and uh, who was going to ride it, and what the, who the stewards were going to approve or, or make the decision there, and mm. it was uh, it was quite a busy ten minutes there to try and to try and sort it all out, but. Uh, uh, look, we got Damien Laney just ridden a, a my second group one winner a couple of races before, and mm. he's a top class job. But uh, look, he wasn't very positive out of the gates, and, and he admits it. And it was uh, pretty hard to take on the day. But uh, I'll give give him credit; he put his hand up and admitted it wasn't his best ride. And look, we'll just put that behind us and move on. Yep, uh, you must have uh, received a hell of a shock when they'd gone 100 metres to see where she was. I mean, she was out of the race straight away. She had no hope from back there. Yeah, that first furlong, when uh, when I seen where she was and, and sort of what had happened, uh, that, yeah, it was race over then. Uh, to her credit, though, she uh, picked herself back up and, and shown how classy she is and really finished off and, Probably had no right to do what she done that day, but uh, no. it was it was very pleasing to see to see just you know how she can pick herself back up when she's uh, facing you know bad luck in a run and chasing a couple of useful ones, trapeze artist and Red Zell. Yeah, there's not many better going around, is there? Oh no, she her run, uh, I believe, in the TJ Smith, uh, it may have been a career best, Ben. In hindsight, I thought it was a career best run. Mm. Uh, just for what she was able to do, uh, the Galaxy obviously but it was, she won the Group One, but uh, and it was a great win. But I thought she she'd improved a couple of lengths yeah. uh, in the TJ run just for what she'd done in the run. Mm. Well, you decided to take her to Brisbane. You, I don't know whether you were reluctant or not, but you you made the decision to go for a quick little crack at the Doombin Ten Thousand. She finished out of a place, wasn't very far away, two and a half lengths from the winner, but she just didn't have the spark on the day, did she? She obviously had come to the end of it. Yeah, I think she'd come to the end of it. Uh, we couldn't find anything wrong with her. Uh, the vets couldn't. Uh, back at home, you know, we'd done x-rays and scopes and bloods and done our due diligence there. But uh, look, I think, it, like you said, uh, she'd probably just come to the end of it and Looking back, uh, when we brought her in for the, for her order preparation, mm. she did have to come back in about a month or six weeks earlier than we normally would because we had to manage that hoof injury coming back. So yeah. uh, she had been in the stables a lot longer than what looked a two-run prep. So I'd say uh, we just put it down to, uh, you know, just coming to the end of it. And she's gone out now and for four weeks and she'll come back and we'll get her ready, ready for the Everest. The day she got beaten in the TJ, you provided the surprise of the carnival, as you mentioned earlier, by winning the Group 1 size produce stakes with this filly, El Dorado Dreaming. Now, she was bred by Yvette Pierce, and I think you had trained a horse or two for Yvette previously. Yeah, the first horse I had for Yvette was uh, El Dorado's Dreaming uh, half-sister. Uh, so that was the first one I had for Yvette and El Dorado was the second one. So uh, it's an absolute pleasure to train for a lady like that. There's not many not many uh, people that really just have own horses 100% anymore. So mm. uh, to a credit, she, she does and 
she loves her racing, and it's uh, great to win for great to win for her. This filly hadn't won in three starts, Ben, previously, but all three runs were pretty good. I mean, I can imagine you having a degree of optimism. Yeah, we. Uh, I convinced her to run. Uh, she was. She took a little bit of convincing, but uh, you know she trust, trusted my judgment, and the runs were credible. And and again, she was a horse that had shown a lot at home, and she's probably uh, the best way to, to, to as a guy was. She was the only horse in the stable that could that could have a nice solid hit out within her time. So mm. uh, leading up. Uh, to the run at Newcastle, she actually worked with her, and they, uh, you know, she wasn't far off the mark there, and that gave us a lot of confidence. And I think the penny just dropped. Uh, you know, it just took mm. a couple of runs. She was still working it out. Yeah, uh, we've been wanting to ride quiet for so long, but she just kept jumping and, and putting herself in the race. So mm. uh, it was a blessing in disguise, drawing a wide barrier in the size, and you just had to tell Damon just bite her, but just just pull her back through the field. Yep. See if she can finish off. Now, Ben, when betting, when betting opened on that race, I think they put up something like $251. She finished up at 81 In your heart, did you think she was way over the odds? Yeah, I did. I actually uh, done, a, uh, done an interview that morning uh, with TK and... Uh, he asked me what I thought of their chances were, and I said, oh, I, I, I honestly said that I didn't think she should be the price she is. Mm. I don't think her form lines are that bad. Yeah. And she, being ridden quiet today with the blinkers on, she's really going to give the race a shake. Um, I don't, I'm not sure she could win it, but she's definitely going to be very competitive. You lined her up in the Champagne Stakes a fortnight later. She finished third, beaten just over a length, and didn't have a lot of luck in that either. No, she uh, she didn't have a lot of luck there. Uh, unfortunately, Damien couldn't ride her due to a suspension. Uh, so we had uh, Jason Collette ride, and uh, he he rode her well. He just um, you know just he just couldn't get out of the crucial time. And again, the way she finished off that last hundred and fifty metres once she got balanced up again, that was, it was very encouraging. Encouraging enough for trainer Ben Smith to map out a very ambitious program for El Dorado Dreaming in the spring, on the basis, Ben, that she might stay and stay well. She's out of a Zabil mare. Yeah, it's, uh, it is very ambitious, but uh, she's back in the stables now. She's come back in great order, and I've sat down with her bed and uh, we've talked, you know, a few options, and thought, look, as a plan, she, if she does come up as well as what we, we hope she will, mm. uh, you know, we'll look at a, a five-run campaign for her. Um, yep. You know, kicking off in uh, in the T-Rose, uh, 1,400 metres uh, into the flight stakes, uh, from there to Caulfield Guineas, into the Cox Plate, into the Oaks. So, uh, yeah, very ambitious, but if she's, uh, if she's come back in good order, and I think she'll be right up to it. You know, there are people out there who've got uh, an equally big opinion of her, as you have, to the extent that Yvette, and I don't think she'll mind my saying this, recently refused an offer of one and a half million for El Dorado Dreaming. Yeah, we had uh, Yvette had a couple of offers. I know that was the biggest one. Um, And, 
yeah, look, it's uh, when you're talking that sort of money, it's uh, it's very hard to make a decision. But you know, yeah, you only live once, and and she's got a really nice horse here, and she mm. may not ever get it again. So yeah, that's right. Look, money can't buy that experience for her. Well, in her time, an Eldorado dreaming have made an enormous difference to your life and your business. And in just a few months, Ben, you've gone from 15 horses in work to 60. And that'll come as a a surprise to a lot of people. Um, You've been surprised and delighted by some of the new clients who've come your way. For instance, New Haven Park Stud have already sent two fillies with a couple more to come, and one of those fillies is a half-sister to English by Schnitzel. She'd be a valuable filly. Absolutely. Uh, the, the support's been great. Um, really, uh, you know, very thankful. Uh, we've still got our all our existing clients staying solid with us, and uh, the, the phone hasn't stopped ringing in the, in the last sort of... Eight to twelve weeks, John, which has been great, and uh, uh, just some of the people that have come on board, a couple of the studs, just sending one or two horses to me. It's uh, you know, it's a thrill. It's it, it, just racing in some of the great colours and training for some of the great people. It's uh, it's an absolute pleasure, and it it does make it a lot easier to get up in the morning. And uh, although it's busier and it's a lot harder, it's uh, it's much more enjoyable. Dynamic syndications have been with you for a while now and you've saddled up a couple of recent winners for them. Now, with country prize money as good as it is nowadays, you've been sneaking away a bit with some of these dynamic horses. Yeah, they've been great dynamic. They've allowed us to to travel to find the right races for these horses and uh, a lot of the the ones that I've got for them at the moment are uh, three-year-olds, so they're they're Bob's horses as well, so it really, you know, when you're going around at uh, Cross Harbour on a, on a Friday or Corindai on a on a Tuesday for twenty odd thousand to the just over twenty thousand to the winner, it does make the mm. the decision pretty easy to be able to travel these horses. You know, Dynamics Indications began operations in two thousand and five, and they've supplied more than five hundred and thirty race winners. Terrific strike rate. Yeah, they are. They're they're great. Gene uh, and Adam, they they're, uh, they they phoned me up and we we had a good chat and they were uh, they they wanted to start sending horses and I'm oh, very thankful that they have. Uh, they're great people to get along with. Uh, they do they do a very good job and they buy the right horses and it's uh, that, it does make my job a lot easier training for them and especially when they're so easy to talk to and. Uh, we, you know, we really bounce off each other with form and, and that. So we we all try and find the right races for the horses and uh, just try and win races for them. 17 of those 60 horses on your books are yearlings. You've never been in this situation before. No, I think the most amount of yearlings I've had in a year is two. So uh, to have 17 this year and, and uh, you know, 17 quality yearlings, it's a... It's an absolute uh, surprise and it's very exciting. We've got uh, yearlings there by, you know, Exceeding Excel, uh, Sebring, Schnitzel, uh, Tavistock, you know, horses like that, uh, Stratum Colt. It really is uh, it's great. It's, it's extremely exciting and uh, the next crop of horses coming through, hopefully uh, a few of them turn out to be pretty handy. 
You went to the Magic Million sales and you came home with three fillies. You couldn't help yourself. You've got an Exceed and Excel, a More Than Ready, who's been a terrific filly sire, and Sebring. How did they break in, Ben? Yeah, they broke in really well. I had my old boss, uh, Greg Bennett. Uh, he's, a, he's up there at Queensland there, so uh, he broke them in and gave them a little preparation. And they've actually just come into the stables this week, so they'll just have a light couple of weeks and head back out again. But uh, they're, they're in great order and really happy with them. And, and Greg was really happy with the way they broke in and how they handled everything. Uh, no, it's, uh, looking forward to uh, to bringing them in next time and, and really sort of pressing the button with them a bit. You know, there wouldn't be a horse trainer alive who doesn't suffer race day nerves to some degree, whether they admit it or not. Now, by your own admission, uh, Benjamin, you can get a bit toey on race day. Yeah, I do a bit of box walking, John. I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm terrible. Yeah. Uh, race day, even even the week leading up to a race, I, I start getting a bit jittery. But uh, mm. yeah, look, I've uh, you know got to learn to relax a little bit. But uh, just at this point in my career, I want everything to go right all the time. And uh, just really, you know, it's all about uh, you know having the horse in the right order. And it's something that uh, you know I put a lot of pressure on myself to do well and have the horses run well all the time. And so that's why I get, uh, get quite nervous. You know, when it's all boiled down, it's wasted energy, isn't it? It doesn't help the horse, doesn't help the owner, and it doesn't help the trainer. You'll get better after a few more Group 1 wins, Ben, promise you. Yeah, hopefully I will. Um, I'm sure I will. <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, yeah, just at the moment I, uh, I can't help myself. Well, mate, I've been watching your career very closely, and uh, you have done a magnificent job uh, to come out of the woodwork, as we say in the racing game. It's all ahead of you. You're only 36 years of age and um, you care about horses. You've got great passion for them and that's a flying start. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love what I do and I wouldn't change it for anything in the world, John. And great to have you on the podcast, Ben. Thank you very much for your time. No, absolute pleasure, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 